Well, we invite any children here, uh, kindergarten to second grade, to go to Children's Church if they'd like to. And they can find that through the door over here by the piano. And while our children are heading to Children's Church, I'd invite the rest of you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Today we're studying verses 4 to 15, and that can be found on page 1023 if you are using a pew Bible, Luke chapter 8, page 1023, and we're looking at the parable of the sower, which could also be called the parable of the soils. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 15. Let me read the text. It says, While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, The plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Some of you uh, have to work with children. Maybe you're a parent or a teacher. Maybe you've taught a Sunday school class or been a counselor at a kid's camp or something. But you've had to work with kids. And, And if you've had to ever work with kids, you know that there's a very important question you have to ask children at some point in your interaction with them. It's a profound question, almost a spiritual question. And the question that you have to ask children at some point in your interaction with them is this. Are you listening to me? (laughs) Very important. Uh, It'll come up, a very frequent question to ask. Uh, You know, you're sitting there having dinner, and the kid's rocking back in his chair, and he's rocking back. You say, stop rocking back. You're going to fall over. And a few minutes later, the kid's still rocking back. And so you say the important question. Are you listening to me? Yeah. What'd I say? Don't rock back. So why are you rocking back? I don't know. 
you're not listening to me. Yes, I am. And it's very clear at this point in the conversation that, that we're having a lexical issue. The, uh, the, the parent and the child are using the same verb to listen, but they're defining it in different ways, apparently. The, the child is using the verb to listen to simply refer to the physical act of hearing the sound and understanding what you're saying in English. But that's it. And when the adult says, are you listening, what the adult means is, are you not only hearing the words, but are you uh, taking them in and responding in the appropriate way? And so that's really the issue. What does it mean to really listen? And so the kid, sure enough, boom, hits the ground, and they're like, <laughs> you know, and the wind's knocked out of him, and you jump up as a concerned parent, and in the most compassionate, you know, a warm, nurturing voice you can find, you lean over the kid and you say, I told you you weren't listening to me! <laughs> And God is saying to us right now, God is saying to us, are you listening to me down there? God is speaking all the time. Just walk outside. Look at the world He made. He's speaking. He's telling us that He's real, that He's glorious, that He made this world. Are we listening to Him? And what does it mean to really listen to God? What does that look like? Um, Jesus put it this way right here in our text. He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. That's Jesus' way of saying, are you listening? Are you listening? So what does it look like to really listen to God? If you're really to hear God and to listen the way God intends, how would that play out in your life or in my life? I I think that's what this parable is all about. This is a story about listening. What does it mean to really hear God? And so we see in verse 4, Jesus has a bunch of people in front of him who need to hear. It says, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. So you got the scene, right? Here's Jesus. There's crowds coming to him. His ministry has become famous. Uh, It's not even a ministry anymore. It's a movement. And he gets near a town. He can't even get in the town because the people are coming out of the towns. And the only way to, to have conversations with people is to be out in the wilderness where he can stand up on a big rock or something and shout out. That's the only place where people will fit. And all these crowds are coming, and it's great, right? Well, I don't know. Because Jesus can see through the crowds, and he knows that not everybody who's coming to hear him is all coming for the same reasons. He knows that not everyone who's followed him into the wilderness is really a follower, if you know what I mean. He knows that not everybody is listening in the same way. And so he tells this parable about listening, how to really listen to God when God speaks. So in verse 5, we get the parable. He says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. So here we have an incredibly simple story. Uh, this would be very mundane and uh, commonplace in the ancient world in an agrarian culture. I mean, in fact, it would almost be pedestrian to tell this story to the people. It'd be like if I told you a story and I said, you know, there once was a man who got up at five, showered, shaved, and then he got in his car and he went to Dunkin' Donuts and he got his coffee. Then he commuted to Boston. He worked all day and commuted home. You know, and you'd be like, yeah? <laughs> okay, what's the point? 
You know, this very just plain story. There's this guy, and he's sowing seed. And this is something everyone would have known. If you can imagine the, the Palestinian farmer with a seed uh, bag strapped around his shoulder and a big wicker bag full of seed, and he's walking along, and he's broadcasting seed. That, that, that's how they did it. And he's throwing the seed as he goes. And uh, if you've ever spread seed at your, on your lawn or fertilizer, you know it bounces all over the place. And some of the seed falls on the rocky path. And because it's hard and it's packed down, the birds see it. It just kind of boing, 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 bounces on the path. And the birds come down and whoop, swoop it up. And then another kind of seed, it falls on shallow soil. It's just a little bit of topsoil and there's a rock underneath. So when that seed sprouts, it dies because it can't sink any roots. And as soon as it's a hot day, it's, it's gone. And then the third kind of uh, seed falls into the weeds. And when that seed grows up and becomes a plant, so do the thorns. And these Palestinian thorns could be like five, six feet high. And think of a, a head of grain maybe this high and these huge thorn bushes growing over it. They're going to choke out the sunlight so that the plant can't photosynthesize properly and it's not going to reach maturity. It's never going to grow strong enough to produce a head of grain itself. And then some seed falls on the good soil and it does grow up and it produces a huge crop. And so that's the story. And, okay, <laughs> all right, Jesus, very interesting. You know, why are you telling us this simple little story? And then at the end of verse 9, he adds this. Here's the, the kicker. When he had said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, are you listening? And at that point, we have to say, okay, wait a minute. Maybe this is more than just a little boring story about seeds. Maybe Jesus is trying to tell us something. And so, like the disciples, we gather around Jesus in verse 9, and we want to know, what, what are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean? What are you trying to say through this cute little story? So, verse 9, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. And look at the response in verse 10. I'm fascinated by this. It said, he said... The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to others I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. What I find interesting here is that Jesus doesn't actually interpret the parable right away. The first thing he does is he tells them why he uses parables. So before I'm going to tell you what it means, I'm going to tell you why I even talk this way. Because that's Jesus' MO, right? I mean, everyone who knows anything about Jesus knows that he's famous for his parables. Why did he speak in parables? Why did Jesus teach that way? And one of the common answers you hear is, well, Jesus was a good preacher, and he knew that good preachers use illustrations. They illustrate things to make them clear. And, and I do think illustrations are a great part of preaching. They help make things clear. But I don't know if that's what Jesus was doing here. In fact, it seems he's saying kind of the opposite. That with the parables, he's not just illustrating, but in some ways he's concealing things, right? He says that through these parables, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God are going to some people, and to other people, they're being blinded. So parables are kind of like sifting the crowd. By telling the parables, Jesus is dividing out people. Who are the real listeners, and who are the people who are there listening for all kinds of reasons, who aren't really getting it? And I guess the idea is, when you tell a parable like this, the people who are really followers of Christ are going to lean in closer and they're going to go, whoa, 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 you need to explain that to me. And the people who are there for other reasons are going to go, hey, whatever, nice story. <laughs> and so the parable kind of has this sifting function. It divides out, it separates. Isn't that interesting? That at the same time, a parable both reveals and conceals. That at the same time, it both communicates and obfuscates the kingdom of God. 
so that it helps some to get it more and it helps some to get it less. It's very interesting how that works. It's just fascinating. There's like a whole sermon there I could preach on that. It's this whole concept of God's sovereignty and salvation. But alas, we don't have time. But in fact, notice what he says at the end of verse 10. He quotes. See the quote? Though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. That's from Isaiah chapter 6. Fascinating. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6 is the story when Isaiah received his call to be a prophet of God. You guys remember this story? Uh, Isaiah is in the presence of God and God says, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here am I. Send me. And God says, Go. Tell these people, be ever seeing but never understanding. Be ever hearing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. So in other words, God sent Isaiah on a mission of judgment to idolatrous, rebellious Israel. And although there was always a few in Israel who believed, at that time the majority of them had become disobedient. And so in a sense, God was sending Isaiah to preach judgment. And I think, isn't it interesting, Jesus appropriates that language for himself. So Jesus is saying the reason I'm preaching in parables is the same reason Isaiah was sent, was to bring a message of judgment. So all that to say, when Jesus starts talking in parables, it's time to pay attention. It's like it's gotten so bad I've got to talk in parables now. That's how bad it is, people. If you've gone so far, I'm going to have to resort to the old parable method. So here comes the little story. And this story now will divide real listeners from false listeners. And it challenges us. What kind of listeners are we? What do we do when God speaks? Are we really listening? Or do we just keep tilting back in our chair? Are we really listening to what God has to say to us? And so we have the explanation of the parable in verses 11 to 15. And here we see that the four different kinds of soils represent four different ways of hearing the Word of God. Uh, and each of them is different. The first three obviously are the wrong way to listen, and the last one is the right way to listen. So let's just look at the interpretation. Verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So, okay, before you even get to the soils, the seed is God's word. So when, when you think of this guy casting seed out, you have to picture Jesus standing there preaching to the crowds. And as he shares the word of God, it's like a sower... He's casting out seeds. Thousands are around him and he's casting out seeds. And whenever a preacher stands up in a pulpit and preaches from the Bible, uh, and I add that qualifier, <coughs> from the Bible, this is the Word of God is being sown. And they're dipping into the bag of seed and he's preaching. And, you know, I don't know where it's going. It's, you know, seed flies all over the place. But this is my job, is to, to sow the seed and throw it out there. And whenever you're at work and... You know, some guy says, hey, what'd you do this weekend? You say, oh, I was actually, you know, at church, or last night I was at this Bible study, and they go, what? You know, no, it was cool, it was cool. You know, let, let me tell you what we learned about, and you start sharing the Word of God, you know. It's like you're taking seeds and, boom, throwing them out. <laughs> let me tell you what happened. Boom, you're throwing seeds. That's it, you're sharing the Word of God. Or whenever a play group comes into your house, and a bunch of moms from the town come in, and you've got a plaque on the wall that's a Bible verse. You know, as for me in my house, we shall worship the Lord, or uh, love is patient, love is kind, or whatever the Bible verse is. You know, this, and the, a woman looks at it and sees it. You know, that's just a, the Word of God being sown. That's what God's Word is. It's seed that's thrown out there. And what I find encouraging about this verse, if I could just digress for a minute, is I think it's a beautiful picture of what evangelism really means. Evangelism is just sowing seed. Evangelism is not causing plants to grow. Because that's not something we have the power to do. 
evangelism is having a conversation with somebody. It's not converting somebody. Evangelism is spreading the word. It's not saving souls. I mean, I hope souls are saved, but that's God's job. I can't do that. I don't have power for that. I missed that class in seminary. I don't, I don't know how to save a soul. This is the power of God. So our job is just to be people who, with authenticity and integrity, genuinely love people around us, genuinely care about them, and share the Word of God with them because we love them. That's evangelism. We're just sowing the seed, tossing it out there. And it lands all kinds of different places. People hear it in different ways. And Jesus gives us four examples of ways that people hear. So we'll look at the the parable explanation now. And the first kind of hearer we might call the hardened hearer. That's the first one, the hardened hearer. Look at verse 12. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So there's some people who you talk to them and share the word of God with them. It's like throwing seeds on the road. It just doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go in. The birds see it. They swoop it up. The car drives over it. People walk on it. It doesn't go anywhere. Uh, whenever I spread seed or fertilizer on my lawn, you know, and I have one of those little push cart green things, and you put the seed in it, and you open up the little door, and the thing spins around and shoots seed. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I don't know what the thing's called, but I, I, it's sort of like a suburban thing I do. I just kind of, you know, like a little drone, walk around my yard and make passes back and forth. And every once in a while, I have to walk by the driveway, and it'll shoot the stuff out in the driveway, and, and I just see it ding, 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 kind of bounces and skitters across the driveway. And it's, it's dead. It's not going to go anywhere. The seed's not going to sprout. And Jesus is saying there's some people who have hearts like asphalt, like concrete. And, and the Word of God comes in and it bounces right off. Boom! doesn't go anywhere. Have you ever brought a friend to church who was a hardened hearer? And you sit next to him in church and, oh, the music just is so beautiful and you feel so full of praise to God. And the sermon that Sunday just happened to be right on. You know, you brought your friend, and fortunately the pastor didn't preach on giving or hell. So it was good. And he got lucky. And, but the, oh, the sermon was good, and the Word of God was so clearly spoken, and you just felt the Holy Spirit driving the Word of God into your heart, and you're so moved by what God was saying. Was, and you, know, you look around the sanctuary, and people are so moved. You're trying to choke back the tears. And at the end of the service, you lean over to your hardened hearer friend, and you say, well, what do you think? And the person's like, you know, I think I could really go for some pizza. I mean, I really... I've just been thinking about Bertucci's this whole time. And you're like, look at all these people. The congregation's in tears. You can see the glow of the Holy Spirit on every face because they've been bathed in the Word of God and in worship. And the heart in here is going to... You know, they just don't get it. They... Kind of looking at the architecture and that's sort of interesting, isn't it? And how that molding worked. And they just, they don't get it. If you've ever tried to share the faith in Christ with a hardened hearer, it's incredibly frustrating. They often just don't want to talk about it. It's not interesting to them at all. Or they're very hostile. And they'll, they'll attack you for it and they'll put you down and they'll find ways to belittle you because that's important to you. Um, it's very hard. Or sometimes they just argue. I, I was having a, a conversation o- over the internet with a person who I found out was a hardened hearer. At first, this person just sent the message, you know, having some struggle with the issue of why is it that there are some places in the Bible that you see polygamy and other places in the Bible that seem to teach monogamy? How does that all sort out? And here's the Bible verse I'm struggling with. So I said, ah, here's you know, what I think about that. And the person said, well, what about this? And 
Well, you know, that's trying to mention that. And, and pretty soon I realized this was not a conversation. This was a shouting match over, you know, email. This was just people arguing with each other. And I realized this guy really wasn't trying to learn. You know, this wasn't an open exchange where we were both trying to learn something. This was just, here's my argument, and once you try to answer that argument, he's already on to the next one. And when you meet someone like that who's just got a mouthful of arguments, you realize this isn't a real dialogue. This is a hardened hearer. And what do you do with a hardened hearer? I only know one thing to do with a hardened hearer. Just pray. You've got to pray that God will soften the heart just like God softened my heart when I used to be a hardened hearer before Christ touched me. And just like any true Christian used to be a hardened hearer before Christ opened our hearts and enabled us to receive the message, you just have to pray. Only God can break through that asphalt. Only uh, the rain of the Holy Spirit can soak down into that dry, hard-packed soil and soften it up so that the seed can go in. You have to pray. And maybe that's you. I mean, maybe you're hardened here, and I just want to, I don't know, plead with you. <laughs> if I could get on my knees, you know, just beg you to soften your heart. God is speaking. He's speaking all the time. He's speaking right now through His Word. You know, somehow it's a miracle. He even speaks through His servants sometimes. God is speaking. Are you listening? And you, you're so long have. have turned your back on God and I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, I don't need that church stuff. And you've, you've just hardened yourself into this, this corner where you can't get out of. And, and you're so narrow-minded, you're so closed-minded, you're so full of your own ideas and intelligence that, that you can't even hear God. And He's reaching out to you again right now. So, you know, stop playing the stupid game. Just open up your heart a little bit. That's it, just a crack. Just a little crack in the asphalt where a seed can go in. And if God is real... Say, God, if you're real, I I just want to be a little bit open just in case. And open yourself up to God and see if He is not real. He is. He's a living God. And He answers prayer. Seek Him out. Don't be a hardened hearer. For God's sake, for your sake, for Christ's sake. And then there's a second kind of hearer. The second kind of hearer is the shallow hearer. The shallow hearer. And this is the, uh, the seed that falls on the soil that's just a little bit of topsoil on top of a rock. See that in verse 13? Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing they fall away. So this is the, the person who has a very strong emotional excitement about Christ. A very strong enthusiasm, but it's... It doesn't have any depth to it. It's just kind of surface. It's like the foam on the top of the soda. It just bubbles. You know, they're all excited about their faith. It, and you know, Jesus had these people around him. He's preaching, and there's people coming up to him. Oh, Jesus, I can't believe that miracle you just did. And the crowds were fawning over him. But he knew a lot of them were just the shallow soil. That they were a little bit of dirt on top of a stone. And we know how that is. We're here in New England. We have rocky soil. <laughs> the farmers came here. And they settled here and they started trying to plow the field and boom, they hit something and they dug out and it was a rock. So they took it out and they went another two feet and boom, they hit something else. And so now you walk through the woods in New England and there's all these random walls, stone walls that all the farmers took all the rocks out with. And that's New England. 
And when you have a situation like that, you cannot grow grain, because grain, like any plant, needs to send down some good-sized roots. And when there's all these rocks underneath the surface, that the roots hit the rock, and then they can't go anywhere, and then it doesn't grow. And so Jesus uses this as a picture of the, the person who's full of excitement, full of emotion and joy, but then when the first trial and test comes, they're off to the next thing. This is the shallow here, the person with no roots. Um, and, you know, I haven't been a pastor that long. I've only been a pastor for 10 years. So now, I'm not new, but I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a seasoned veteran either. I still have a lot to learn. But even in my short time of being a pastor, I have developed, it's kind of natural, you develop a wait-and-see kind of approach to people in ministry. You just wait and see. You know, someone comes to you, oh, I love the church. It's so good. And that music was great. And I just want to get so involved. I want to do this and I want to do that. And, and you know, and I don't say no, but I also have learned not to just jump on the bandwagon and ride with them because I want to see. Because some of the people I've gotten on the bandwagon with, yeah, Christ is alive in their life and they just take off for the Lord. And I've had other people, you get on the bandwagon and then you look and they're not in the seat anymore. You're like, where'd they go? And, and they dropped off somewhere along the way. And you get them involved, and you get them doing things, but there was no roots. They never got grounded in the Word of God. And you have that happen enough in ministry, and you start to say, okay, okay, I'll chill out a little. I'm going to wait and see a little bit. Because there's some people who just don't sink roots. I, I remember one person many years ago um, who came and all excited, wanted to get involved, jumped in with both feet. I was like, yeah, this is great. And uh, became really involved in the church. And then a trial came. Uh, this person lost a loved one. And how could God do this? Where is God? I can't believe God will let this happen. And it was just very overthrown. It's like the bottom fell out of this person's faith. And they, they just left. So I'm calling them. Hey, how you doing? I'm praying for you. You want to get together? You want to talk? How you doing? Nothing. Just fell away. Because trials are going to come to your faith. If you become a new Christian, you can almost take out a stopwatch or take out a calendar and just mark two years and start timing. Within about two years of becoming a new Christian, I promise you almost that you are going to experience some great travail in your life. It's just what happens. I've seen it so many times. A person becomes a Christian and then it happens. There's a disease or there's a job loss or some major chaos in the family or you get involved in a church or a Christian community and there's some you know, very disheartening, discouraging behavior on the part of other Christians. And you're like, oh my goodness, what is this? Or whatever it is. And it'll throw you for a loop. And if you don't have roots, you won't survive that initial test that's going to come to your faith. Not if, not, not if, when it comes. When it comes. And so if you're a shallow Christian, or you're someone who's professing faith, but it's still all kind of excitement and emotion, I just want to urge you to sink your roots Get into the Word of God. Join a Bible study group. Uh, get involved with some other Christians in your life. You know, following Jesus, I say this before, is a team sport. This idea of I'm my own Christian, I have my own personal little religion over here, and it's disconnected from the church or anyone else is so unbiblical and so unhealthy, and you're just set up for disaster. You need to get around with some other Christians and study the Word of God in community and be connected to other believers so that you can sink your roots with them into the Word of God. So when that storm comes, you're not going to wither and die on the vine, so to speak. So there's the hardened hearer. There's the shallow hearer. And then the third type we might call the, the smothered hearer. The smothered hearer, the choked hearer, or something like that. Look at verse 14. 
The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So here's the, the seed that falls among the thorns. And you don't see the thorns at first because they're just seeds, but then it all sprouts and these big thorns grow up. Maybe you've been walking in the woods in New England, uh, Wampaduck State Park, and you've seen these bull briars. Have you seen those things that go around New England? They're, they're green and they're very wiry and strong and they sort of shoot up and over. They can be very tall. And what they'll do is they'll send a root underground and every few feet or so it'll pop up another briar. And then these things kind of grow together and they grow over the vegetation and then just kind of stomp it down. So that the plants, they're not usually killed, but they're definitely stymied in their growth because they can't get as much light as they need. And so that's the picture here, is weeds choking out the life of the good plant. And here's the picture of the person who confesses Christ. They've put down some roots, but you know, they're just, they're kind of dead. There's no fruit. There's no life. Their life isn't really shining for Christ. They're kind of, I don't know what you want to call them, lukewarm or stagnant Christians. They're not activated. They know the right Sunday school answers. How do you become a Christian? You believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But you don't see that life kind of coming out of them. You don't see their character being transformed. You don't see producing fruit in the workplace or at school. And it's like they're asleep, you know, or something. And when that happens, Jesus is saying, look for weeds. Chances are there's weeds that are choking out the productivity of the plant. And what are the weeds? Well, he tells us. This is a great parable. He explains everything for us. He says, one of the weeds are worries, choked by life's worries. And some of us are professional worriers. Some of us have awards on our shelves for how good we are at worrying. We can take anything and worry about it and stress and freak out about it. And then it goes away and we're on to the next thing. And we just worry about everything. How am I going to get this dryer fixed? My dryer's it's broken. I mean, how long am I going to go without a dryer? Do I hang up my clothes? And we can spend hours thinking about the dryer. Or, you know, you know Susie has hockey at three, but Freddie has to go for his ear recheck at four, and so and so's got lacrosse. And what am I going to do? And you, just go, you spend your whole morning just stressed, tied up in knots, worrying about how to get kids wear. Or there's a client I have to meet today, and, and you know, what am I going to wear? And we're going to go out, and what should I say? And you just. And, you know, none of these things are bad. They're all things we have to do. It's just life. But we find that we can worry so much about the details of life that it drowns out thinking about Christ and worrying about, I don't know, reaching my neighborhood for Christ. You know, why don't I worry about that? I don't. I worry about the other things. I was talking to a lady. Uh, she doesn't go to this church or anything, but just a lady I know. And, you know, how's it going? She's like, oh, I'm really wrestling with what to do with my kids. I'm like, what do you mean? And, and she had a, a, a kid in public school, but she also had a kid in a, uh, a really good... Or she had had the kids in a prep school. And she was trying to figure out, should I have the kids in the public school or in the prep school? And, uh, and she's describing this whole dilemma. And, you know, I, without going into the details, the public school she had the kids in was a really awesome public school. And the private school, really high-end, good private school. You know, I'm just sitting there listening, and, and it was like 20-minute monologue, just about the prep school. And I'm thinking, oh, that all the kids on planet Earth had this crisis of which one to go to. And, you know, it was just 20 minutes, just worrying about which school, which school. And I was like, wow. And, you know, I realized myself in her, because I do the same thing. It may not be about schools, but I get stressed about things. And the problem is, 
my brain is only so big. Your brain is only so big. And you only have so much mental space for gardening. It's like a garden plot. And if it's all filled up with the weeds of worries, I'm not going to have space to be invested in the kingdom of God and to think about the things that are important to Christ. Riches can do that. That's the second weed. Do I spend my day surfing the internet, comparing prices on plasma TVs and cars and homes and vacation homes and iPods and camcorders and da-da-da-da-da? What about pleasures? I'll tell you, we are a culture that is absolutely addicted, addicted to pleasure and entertainment. I mean, like never before. Especially those of us who grew up in the 60s, 70s, 80s. There's a shift took place in our culture. You know, you look at the generations before who suffered through the Great Depression and who went through World War II. You know, they learned how to be happy with less and they learned how to scrimp and save. But something shifted from the 60s on and, and I'm a product of it. I grew up in a culture where you know, the, one of the highest values that unites us as Americans is entertainment. That's something you can talk about anyone with is movies, but you can't talk about other things. We're sort of bound together in our addiction to pleasure. And so whether it's TVs, movies, uh, video games, internet, um, sports, watching sports, going to sports, sending our kids to sports, I mean, it's just so much we, we invest in for pleasure and entertainment. I mean, that's not even counting the billions we spend annually on alcohol or the billions we spend annually on pornography. It's just billions of dollars focused on pleasure and entertainment in our culture. Uh, and it's very hard when you're in that context to not just get consumed in that and to be all about entertainment, entertaining and, and pleasing yourself. But pleasure and an obsession with pleasure chokes out the kingdom of God. And, and please don't get me wrong, I'm not some kind of legalistic, frumpy guy who's like, you should never have fun, you should just be reading your Bible all day long, although that might be actually cool for some of us for a while to try. Uh, but, but what, you know, I like to have fun. I like to play. We all have to have recreation. But when it becomes an obsession and I'm living for the weekend so I can take the money I earned and spend it on the things that are going to make me happy, we've lost something. And God's kingdom is not going to grow in us and produce fruit. And we're not going to be like the fourth kind of soil, which is the right response. How does God want us to hear? What is right hearing? Are you listening? And the answer is, if you're listening, you will bear fruit. And that's the fourth soil. Just look at that quickly. Verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by, here's the key word, persevering, produce a crop. And when I was studying this passage, and I got to that last section, something in my heart just resonated with the idea of producing fruit. You know, I want to be a more fruitful Christian. I want to produce fruit for Christ. I've done all the other things. I've been one, two, and three. <laughs> and I struggle with the third one. You know, I struggle with things in the world choking out my fruit. I would love to produce more fruit for Christ. I would love to see my life more godly. I would love to be a, a Jesus-soaked person so that when people bump into me, they just, you know, a little Jesus squirts out on them. I, I would love to be that full of, full of the character of Christ. I would love to be excited more about praying and reading the Scriptures more than I am about channel surfing. I would love to have my life be productive in my neighborhood and not just drive through my neighborhood to do my business, but really pray for the people and reach out to the people where God gives me opportunity. You know, God wants you to bring the kingdom of God to your workplace. He wants you to bring the culture of the kingdom of God to bear on the culture of your work. 
What does that look like? I don't know. It's a big question. But I do know this. We'll never get there if we don't invest time thinking and talking about it. And if all of our time is spent with other diversions, we'll never get there. Oh, I want to be a fruitful Christian. I want my life to be productive for God. Because this life is so short. In just a few moments, in the timetable of eternity, we're going to be standing before our judge. In just a few moments, we're going to be before Christ. It's right around the corner. Time is short. Ask the elderly. They'll tell you. It goes by so fast. When I had kids, all the, uh, the older folks in the church came up to me and they said, Hey, Jeremy, enjoy it. It goes fast. And it is going fast. And before we know it, we're going to be standing before Christ. And we're going to see, did we produce fruit for Him or not? And, you know, we don't have any time to waste. We've already wasted so much time. And so we need to be sold out for Him. We need to have lives that are open so the seed can go in. We need to sink down roots. We need to keep weeding the garden, which I think is a regular exercise of weeding the garden so that we can produce fruit for the kingdom of God. So that when we stand before Christ and He says, what did you do with what I gave you, my son? I can show Him the fruit by His grace that was produced. And He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. I was trying to think how to end this sermon and uh, I decided to end it with prayer but not me praying. I'd like for you to pray. So would you bow your heads with me? And As best you can, would you identify what kind of soil you find yourself most like in this text? Are you the hard soil that needs to open up? Are you the shallow soil that needs roots? Are you the weedy soil that needs a good weeding Maybe you're fruitful soil and you just want to produce more. You want to take it to a new level of service for Christ. Would you just take a few moments? We're just going to have silence here. And in your own heart, would you ask God to do that work in you so that you might be fruitful for Christ? Heavenly Father, I pray that You might keep the garden of my soul well weeded from the things of this world. You know how they creep in my life, Father, and how I so quickly get absorbed with things that aren't that important in the grand scheme of things or aren't important at all. And Lord, I pray that my heart and my mind would just be so fascinated with the Gospel and with the Kingdom of God so that whether I'm at work or at home or in my neighborhood or at the gym or the supermarket, that I just might have my eyes set on Christ and His Kingdom above and how it's coming to bear and coming to pass here. Lord God, help us to be a fruitful church. I pray that if we were to see in the eyes of the Spirit that looking out over this church, we would see amber waves of grain blowing with the Holy Spirit blowing over them. That we would be a productive and fruitful body 
Oh Lord, don't let our church be hard-hearted. Oh Father, don't let our church have a shallow, superficial, emotional, entertainment-oriented faith. Lord, don't let our church be a weedy church with secular concerns choking out the life of the Spirit in our midst. Help us to be a vibrant, productive, healthy body that is fruitful in every way. Oh Lord, we need Your help. We pray this all in the name of Christ. Would you take your hymnals and turn to hymn number 597?